welcome to another Bible study. Thank you for joining us today. We have a great discussion where we will look at our faith and the choices that we make to have a stronger faith, the, the choices that we make that can help us put some guardrails around our life and encourage us in our journey of faith toward God. So thank you for joining us, and we pray that this is a blessing to you. Serving the church body is one of the greatest privileges we have as Christians. We get the opportunity to serve others, connect more deeply with other believers, and honor the calling that God has placed on our lives. We have many positions available here at the Tree Church, and we would love to take the opportunity to help you get started. If you're interested in finding out more information on how you can serve here at the Tree, visit us at the Tree Church app today. Well, welcome everyone to another Bible study. Today I am joined by my wife, Mary Johnson. Hello. And Pastor Brandon. Hey, friends. And I do want to make just a confession as we begin. Uh, Mary and I are actually on vacation, so we came <laughs> in to do this. And uh, so it's possible that <laughs> this could be Who a little rough. <laughs> yeah, we're on vacation mode. We haven't been in the office all week. And, uh, and actually, right before we started recording, um, we were making the joke about there's a story that has really, it has been exaggerated. But years ago, in the um, we had a 1 o'clock p.m. service on Sunday mm -hmm. and the joke is that I ordered pizza from the stage mm -hmm. uh, because I was so much more casual <laughs> during that setting and I like so they were talking about it in the office the other day and I was like that story has been so grossly exaggerated they're like well what happened I said I was on stage and I said to everyone hey we should all hang out and have lunch together next week after service <laughs> so plan on that if you want to so it was a little bit more spontaneous and I was like I'll order pizza but that story got turned into like I was on stage I was like hold on everyone <laughs> I got my phone out and ordered pizza for everyone there but uh, so today might be a little bit like our 1 p.m. services a little bit more laid back but uh, here's what I want to do I want to ask a couple of questions just to, for people to get to know us a little bit better and there is one thing that all three of us have in common. And yeah. I, as I went through in my mind of all the staff, I think it's just unique of us three, but maybe someone else is on staff can correct me if I'm wrong, but all three of us were collegiate athletes. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that does, I think, say a lot about our personality. That's the only reason. I didn't do that just so we can brag, so we can all just say, <laughs> hey, yes, yes. Uh, I, went to a very, yeah, I went to a small <laughs> Bible school, so I'm not trying to uh, you know, uh, make this bigger than it actually was. But I think it does say a lot about our personalities mm -hmm. because to be an athlete and, and competitive, like you know, that's a thing. So, Brandon, we'll start with you. What, where did you go to college? What mm -hmm. was the sport that you played? What was your experience with that, and how did it impact you? Yeah, I went to Ashland University, which is up north, about two hours from here, and I ran track, and it was a good experience. I think very shocking my freshman year. You know, in high school, you are one of the best, and then you right. come into a college setting where everybody's the best, and so there's an adjustment period. Uh, also, not only with training, you know, you have to mm -hmm. up your training, but also with the mindset, you know, of that you're low on the totem pole mm -hmm. and that you have to really work your way again into that system. And, and, it, and even the work that it took to be involved in a sport, the yeah. hours that you spent at practice, the hours that you spent not only, you know, right after classes, but also in the evening time, lifting and doing those types yeah. of things. It just took a lot of dis discipline. And so it was like a, a real job for me in college, mm -hmm. but, but a lot of good experiences, a lot did of Did you fun enjoy experience. it overall? I did. Yes, absolutely. Um, there were a lot of good memories from it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but there were times when it, it got to be a lot, but you yeah, know, I still love the sport enough to play in it. What you said you did track, but what events did you run? Sure. Yeah. Um, I was a hurdler, so I did 110 hurdles, and I did the 400-meter hurdles. 
400 meter hurdles sounds yeah. like the worst possible <laughs> so race. Because I remember it, for Michigan, maybe it's this way all around. Mm-hmm. There was in high school 300. Correct. Yeah. So in, in college, they just expanded uh, to 400. Correct. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought 300 hurdles was the worst race. Anyone? You ran it too, didn't you? In 300 hurdles. 300 hurdles too not in high school, not in college. Um, yeah. In yeah, and it just Mary, not in no, but this is actually uh, the the pivot here. Like, I'll pivot to you in just a minute. But uh, mm-hmm. the so you ran uh, hurdles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still hold records in high school, don't you? Because because yeah, uh, our elders uh, were one of them. I think Tim Lice was mm-hmm. at uh, Fairfield Union and looked up and saw your name was still there. So what what records do you still hold? I still have the one ten records, which is uh, one hundred ten meters, and then the three hundred and the four by one. And my 200 meter record just got beat a couple of years ago. So, oh yeah. yeah, was that devastating? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I want full success for that program. Like absolutely, yeah. kids to get better. So what was your time that got beat? Um, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I, I think ran. I ran 22.8 was the, the time in there. Okay, so it was an open 200. Yeah, I ran that in high school too, but you were faster than me by a little bit. I was, I think, I set the record at our score for 23.1. Okay, so yeah, you said 22.8. 22.8. Yeah. I just I, I think the wind was probably helping you that day. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so Mary, you were out. I'll say this: you have a unique thing about you in high school. You went to states in the hurdles and the two mile, which is a very bizarre combination. <laughs> so bizarre. Uh, yeah. So Mary will hate that I'm about to say this, but Mary is a phenomenal athlete, has been and still is in her life. Uh, but what did you do in college? I was a diver on the swim team, so that was my sport. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. Mary's going to do one-word answers today <laughs> in the Bible study. Well, I mean, it's not much more to, to Did you like it? That. Did you enjoy it? You know, I, I'm <laughs> sure I liked it, like moments of it. Mm-hmm. I, d- I do yeah. remember enjoying it. So I think I willed myself to play a college sport. Like, I just made it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really wasn't good enough to do a college sport at the school. I went to Grand Valley State University just rivals. outside. Of, yes, yes, we um, competed against Ashland. Yeah. So um, – I wasn't good enough to do the sports that I actually did in high school, in college. It was Mm -hmm. a bigger college. And sports were so part of my life growing up, just even since I could do anything. I have loved sports. So I think I basically just figured out what could I possibly (laughs) still do in college. So yeah. I mean, we, we joke about it, but there's a genuineness to it. You are competitive. Like, I mean, sure. I am too. I, yeah. we, the joke in our marriage is who's more competitive. But um, you really, you have excelled in sports and stuff. When you did gym, gymnastics and then you yes. pivoted in high school to do uh, basketball, actually multiple sports, um, right. basketball, uh, softball, volleyball, and then track uh, mm-hmm. with that. Um, but you also, in college, you dove, you were in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is a lot of snow, mm-hmm. a lot of cold, mm-hmm. yeah. and you had to get into a cold pool every day. To me, yeah. that feels like Navy torture. SEAL training yes. or yeah. something. It some was type tough. Of torture. It was tough. Yeah. And the reason why I went into diving, when I was growing up, as you referenced, I did gymnastics until I was in high school. So, And then I had, a, had taken some diving lessons, and I really enjoyed it when I was mm-hmm. that age. So when I went to college, I just kind of spoke to the, the yeah, yeah, I was a walk-on, spoke to the coach. He was willing to let me give it a shot because he had had gymnasts who had made the team before. So in um, gymnastics really did help me yeah. in that. That's how I was able to dive. But uh, he taught me everything and was a great coach and super kind. But um, I wasn't great. Um, and it was At a first, l- but I mean, by the yeah, end, I, I mean, I got better, one of the but, best, but the best on the team, right? No, I wasn't the best on the team, but I just, <laughs> I, I don't think I'd go back and do it again. It taught me just like you were saying, Brandon, right. it taught me a lot of like perseverance, hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
again, sports were so important to me that I mm-hmm. loved being able to be on a college team and, and have compete, that yeah. connection. Yeah. Um, but in hindsight, I probably would have just done Enjoyed intramurals. Golf. Yeah, right. <laughs> Rather than been that yeah. that be like my life. So. No, I mean, I totally know what you're talking about. I only did basketball for one year. And what was interesting is my whole life was basketball or sports growing up. And then when I had that pivotal spiritual transition between my senior year and college, um, I, I lost my competitiveness, like mm-hmm. in the sense of the same drive that I once had. So like right. when I was in college, my college coach was a total jerk. I mean, he just screamed at you all the time. And, and I just was like, I don't care mm-hmm. about winning or losing anymore. And uh, it, was, it was a weird thing. I, I'm glad I did for a year uh, just to get it out of my system. Um, had built some good friendships and things like that. But uh, yeah, only did the one year. That was enough. All right. Uh, last question. And this is more of just like a rapid fire. I'm going to ask you favorite movie, favorite TV show, favorite book. All right. So, Mary, I'm going to start with okay. you. Favorite movie. I have three. Um, Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> You've Got Mail, and 100 Foot Journey. What's 100 Foot yeah, Journey? Yeah, I've never even seen it's, that. It's um, the one with a French restaurant and an Indian restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember oh, that. An Indian restaurant opens up in, okay, um, in France. The question is favorite, though, so like, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had I'm a feeling you were going to say that. That's why I said it quickly. Yeah. Every time <laughs> I do, do a three. <laughs> we're gonna Every time I do a joke now, Mary, she just points out, I knew you were going to say that. Like, <laughs> what was that last night? You said something like that, too. I, yeah. I made some joke to, to Nora, and she's like, I knew you were going to say that. I'm like, no, you didn't, because I didn't even know I was going to say it. She's like, I knew. All right, favorite movie? Um, by far, Gladiator. It's been okay. my favorite movie of all time. A little brutal. Yeah. I get it, but still up there it was my favorite for a long time yeah, yeah it's yeah. definitely still in my top three but uh favorite tv show west wing yep mary's a strong liberal no i'm just kidding <laughs> 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 she looked at me and said, yeah. i'm just kidding that show yeah we watched it, it was a good show mm-hmm. favorite show this is so hard um one that i could watch over and over again i think would be elementary uh, oh, I, sure. I forgot so that. much so yeah. good yeah so yeah that is so good final favorite book uh, the Mitford series. Boring. <laughs> Have you ever read it? No, just you okay. tell me about it. Those enough for me to <laughs> never read it. Um, I'm going to do two. I'm sorry. It's all right. A spiritual uh, a shepherd's look at Psalm 23. When you did okay. Psalm 23 study, we read through that book, and I recommend that to oh, everybody. Yeah. It's just game such changer, right? An incredible perspective of how God loves us through being a good totally shepherd. Totally agree. Love yeah. it. Uh, just regular book is the monster. The monster. I don't know if I know that one. Is that about a serial killer? <laughs> oh, okay. Just as bad. There's no. a movie called The Monster, it's I think. It's about Bigfoot. It's by Frank Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> Which Frank this Freddy. seems to be a reoccurring theme in this podcast, but yes. It's about uh, it's by Frank Peretti, who wrote This Present Darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Love I love for, I like for Frank Peretti. Yeah. Uh, and this is a book called Monster. So it's about Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I realize uh, my favorite movie is Inception. Favorite TV show is probably Elementary. I, that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, did love West Wing too, but Elementary was awesome. And then favorite book uh, is Ender's Game. Uh, I love that whole yeah. series. It's a sci- sci-fi book. I, it's probably one of the, it might be the only book I've read mo- more than once and I've read it like four or five times. Nice. So yeah, and then when my kids got older, it was so cool because I was like, you guys gotta read this and then we could engage it, so. Cool. All right, well today we are studying Deuteronomy 29. Uh, we're coming toward the end of our study of, of Deuteronomy. Uh, it's lasted six and a half years, <laughs> and uh, we've covered some, it's been some, a good run. Yeah, some interesting topics, but it really is good. I mean, one of the things I said in the beginning of the study is I, I've heard a theologian say all theology can find its roots in Deuteronomy. There's, it's just such an encompassing book. Uh, so it's been good because it's forced us to look at concepts and, and different ideas uh, throughout Scripture. So 
Uh, to date, we're in chapter 29, and the first verse, actually, there's a tad bit of um, debate on it, uh, only in that one of the things in Scripture that some people might miss is these books were not written with, with chapters and verses. Mm -hmm. It was something later on that scholars added to it to make it easier to study and to reference and to engage, uh, but where the breaks happen can be debated, where they go. So um, this in our Bibles is verse 1 of chapter 29. Actually, in the Hebrew, uh, is more often than not connected to chapter 28. Uh, so I'm going to read the verse, and I'm going to explain why that matters to a little bit, um, and then we'll just progress on. Mm -hmm. So here's verse 1. These are the words of the covenant that, that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he made with them at Horeb. Uh, so in verse or in chapter 28, it, the entire chapter is, a, is the covenant of the blessings and curses. It's where God lays out to the people if, like it basically sets before him a choice. If you do these things, you walk in obedience, you're going to be blessed. You, if you disobey, so you, you make that choice, there's going to be curses. God's going to supernaturally resist. And so this last verse is the summary of that, where he's saying these, this is just basically a summary of the covenant that God made with you. So he's just kind of put it into a package. That said, it is somewhat of a tie-in, a natural tie-in to this next part. And again, this was all written as one document. So it's connecting these two ideas, the covenant of blessing and curses, and then as we flow into this next part, you'll see through Moses, God is once again reminding the people. And that is just such a mm -hmm. reoccurring theme mm -hmm. all throughout Deuteronomy and the scriptures as a whole is the importance of being reminded of what God has done. It really does give you the context. So we'll discuss it in a moment, but let me just read verses two through four. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land. And the, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So God is reminding them that of all that they had seen him do and, and move throughout the entire situation of delivering them from Egypt through uh, the different plagues, uh, doing miracles as they came out, where God delivered them from opposing armies that came against them. God supernaturally provided for them. And yet there's this phrase in verse 4 where he says, But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And, and here's what we know. That's not a, a statement that is true of all the people. Mm -hmm. uh, if I just pull out a few names, obviously Moses would be one Correct. that understood and heard. Uh, you would say Caleb. Uh, would be another. Joshua would obviously be another. There were incredible other elders and leaders that were a part of this that go unnamed, but mm -hmm. we can just see from the interaction that they understood what God had done. So he's saying this more to a, a group that had yet to really believe in God and what he has done. Uh, so they haven't obeyed and trusted in their heart. And this is a fundamental truth of a relationship with God. You must trust him and obey him in order for his truth to become real to you. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a few biblical examples of that, then I would love to discuss it. What, what I mean by that is it, it's not just an intellectual thing. Right. Uh, and I think we all understand that. Um, let, let me just, I'm going to pivot right here. This I'm not prepping you for this at all. <laughs> uh, and you'll hate my phraseology, but it's the truth. You are an elite athlete. Like you have been in your life. You still are training. You have a race uh, this weekend. Um, you are very, very, very purposed about things 
But isn't it fair to say that all the concepts you read about are just concepts until you actually practice it, until you experiment in your own body? Because you told me you, you trained up or you changed up your training right. this year based on what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Uh, just talk about that for a moment, transitioning from concept in your head of understanding the truth to how it becomes so much more important once you actually do it, once you live it sure. out. Well, it's actually crazy because that is the example that I was going to use. Okay, is, and a lot of times in endurance training, you'll hear coaches use a phrase that says trust in your conditioning, which mm -hmm. essentially means that you're giving yourself permission to push yourself and trust that everything that you've done to lead up to this point, all the prep work, all the concepts, all the mm -hmm. things that you've put into to play is going to work. It's going to produce the results mm -hmm. that you want it to. And I think that is essentially – a lot of what even scripture teaches when it comes to obedience. You're not simply just thinking about these concepts. You're not simply just understanding them, that you're putting them into practice, that right. you're actually allowing yourself or pushing yourself, giving yourself permission to step in, into those things. Right. And if you never actually try it. Right. Oops, sorry, it's hit the table. But <laughs> if you never actually try it, then you just don't know. Right. Absolutely. It, it's not it's not real to you. And the couple of verses that I was going to reference is even a series that we're in on Sunday about the concept of the rock and the sand of building your house. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, for those of you who understand and do mm -hmm. these things, that's building your house on the rock. It's not those of you who just simply understand. It's not those in the audience who hear my words. Mm -hmm. You're building your house on the sand. Like it's not truth is not truth until it becomes action in your life. Uh, another phrase that I often reference, because I think it's one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible People say, the truth will set you free. But Jesus actually said, if you're my disciples, you will hold on to my teachings. Like, And the hold is a concept of do them, live in them, operate, abide in them. He goes, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth that sets you free is truth applied to your life, mm -hmm. not concept. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just even what we looked at, the behaviors that are blessed, like doing it, part of the blessing is doing it. Mm -hmm. And now it becomes real to you, and then God blesses. Uh, so we've all seen people. These, these are the questions I want to engage right now. We've all seen people who never cross over into obedience because of fear, and therefore they never discover truth. Now, I'm not saying that, obviously, to put us in an arrogant position to say, like, mm -hmm. you know, but we you know, have walked in obedience. Mm -hmm. but I'm just saying, like, in ministry, in life, there are people that we just have such a heart for. Where we're like, ah, oh, just, just take that step. And I know that's your heart uh, very much even in, in discipleship. You have a real bent toward discipleship. Uh, and so do you as the, the, the director of discipleship. Mm -hmm. But why is obedience so critical to truth becoming real to you? Mm -hmm. I think obedience, walking out in obedience is true faith. So just like what you were saying, Brandon, you can have all that head knowledge, but until you actually physically put into practice what you're being told is truth, and in this um, context of Christianity, of taking the steps of faith that God is calling you to do. Until you do that, you don't experience the results. Right. And I think that's true for, I mean, it, although you say you don't want to put us on a pedestal, but we've all been in the situation where we haven't acted in obedience right. and haven't sure. taken those steps of faith and then regretted it. Sure. But it's so easy for people to hear testimonies or success stories from people who have taken those steps of faith. Mm -hmm. And while that's encouraging, it maybe might prompt you to take a step right. of faith. You can't experience the fullness of it until you do it yourself, until you right. take that first first step of faith. I don't. We don't have permission to share the story because the person hasn't. But you had last week, you had oh, a yeah. person on Sunday. And so I'm going to keep it vague just because we don't have permission. They would not care, but just yeah. out of respect, I'm not going to. But one of the things they said was they heard 
other testimonies and even and this is a solid believer goes to our mm-hmm. church actively engaged but actually wondered is that really true and right. then they did it and it came true and they were like oh wow so now right. like up until that point it was a concept because it was other people's lives when they actually did it they're like wow not only did it happen it was such a dramatic story too i, I look forward someday to sharing I know. I know everyone watching is like <laughs> just, tell us, just tell us just tell us it was you know? so, powerful. So, so powerful and emotional and you were emotional telling me yes about it. you're like it we're so at church cool. and she's like when we get in the car you have to remind me to tell you this testimony it's so good and uh, it really was yeah uh, one of the things you said about your training is what coaches told you trust your training and i think what they're saying is there will be a moment where you will be afraid and you, but your training, you have to trust that. Like I remember, you know, Matt Frazier mm-hmm. from CrossFit. So he was uh, one, I think five years in a row, uh, considered at this point, uh, for the males at least, uh, the, the, the fittest athlete ever. So I think Tia in the females is probably the fittest uh, athlete ever, but he is for the males. But uh, he said one time in his training, he was afraid at how, like basically what was his max effort. Mm-hmm. And so he pushed himself trying to like overdo it and then realized what his limit actually was and then just knew that in his mind. I can go to that place and survive. And he Mm -hmm. said, what I realized was a few minutes later, I was okay. Mm -hmm. And and I remember, I've never done that. Like I can't (laughs) can't get to that place, you know, where, because you do get almost panicky, like in in fitness or whatever. And I would imagine even with you doing triathlons and things, like Mm -hmm. there's a part where you know, if I go too hard in the swim, then it's gonna rock me on the bike, which is gonna rock me on it, you know, so you have to train. But when you do push yourself and you do experience that, it gives you that confidence. I'll be okay. I'm tired right now, but I'll be okay. I'm speaking for you. Like I really know, but but is that fair to say? That is the drama that plays out in my brain all, all the, time. the time, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But the thing is, going back to what you said earlier, you never know until you try, until right. you actually go there, and it may be miserable. And I've had races that are miserable because mm-hmm. I've made poor choices at poor times. Yeah. But you know, faith doesn't necessarily work that way, but right. when you step out, there is some fear that's involved in overcoming that fear and trusting mm-hmm. in God. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and the process might be miserable, might be miserable. Yeah. Yeah. For but sure. it's, there's still blessing and yeah, obedience. Sure. Right. And, and I would say that's the, when we now pivot back to talking about faith and, and obedience to God, there is fear because what God calls us to do is different than what everyone Absolutely. else is doing. If everyone else was doing it, then we could look at everyone else's experiences and go, okay, well, this is how it's going to play out. What makes it uh, fearful or makes it uh, terrifying for us is it is the unknown. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why God is saying, here's, here's what is known. What is known is God's power. Right. What is known is God's love. What is known is God's promises. And he's like, you have to focus on that because when you focus on that, then you take a step of faith, then it becomes real to you. And honestly, it helps you in the next step of faith. Yeah. Um, I've had people at times, they'll talk to me about the concept of blind steps of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and whether this is completely accurate or not, what I typically tell them is the first step, it, to some degree, is the only blind step. Because once you do it and God meets you there, keeps his promise, then if you're being a logical person, you go, oh, that's who God is. Mm-hmm. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful mm-hmm. in the future. And it allows you to grow. Um, so let me ask you the next question is, uh, what are some things that weren't real to you uh, until you obeyed? Like, do you guys have any personal examples where you would hear someone else's story or you'd read it in scripture and think like, I don't know. And then one day you did it and you're like, okay, there it is. That's real. Mary, mm-hmm. you want to start with you? Yeah, I think um, the act of like true forgiveness in a mm-hmm. situation where it feels like not just a simple act of forgiveness, but something that really has hurt you or cut deep. Sure. Uh, I until I 
was able to do that and through the help of God forgive people that um, that really had hurt me I don't think I experienced Mm -hmm. the faithfulness of God and what Mm -hmm. the peace that can come in a situation like that until I did it yeah yeah the big one that I put down was just hearing the voice or the prompting of God and responding to that uh, there's been so many times when I question that, you know, I question whether that is from God. But when I do have like it is a voice just in your own head, like correct. that type of deal. Versus, yes, okay, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you know, always aligning it with scripture to make right, sure that yeah. that's correct. But but hearing that voice and then responding to it, whether it's as simple as caring for somebody. So you're prompted to text somebody you're prompted to, to pray for somebody mm-hmm. uh, in that moment. You may be like, ah, that's just, you know, me mm-hmm. talking or whatever. But then the moment you move on it. And then somebody responds like, I was about to do this, or this is the, the, the harshness of what I right. was going through. Like that confirms in that moment of responding. I mean, that's a simple and, and kind of somewhat easy maybe response, but just hearing God speak mm-hmm. and then moving in those moments when you do feel it. And it may be even something personal. You know, you're going through something, you're struggling with something, and God tells you something that's powerful. It's believing that, walking yeah. in that, and walking in that truth that, that can change and um, transform you know, how you experience life, you know? For sure. Uh, both great examples. And I, I would say mine is similar with the forgiveness. Uh, when I was younger, even as a young person, but as a young adult, even young in ministry, I did celebrate the concept of compartmentalizing, and I would have a hard heart. Like, I don't know. It, I knew it wasn't biblical, but yet I just thought, in order to protect myself, I have to compartmentalize relationships and to understand now how much it is better to forgive and to release. And now I'm you know, in my mid forties and I can honestly say, I don't have a grudge against anyone right now. Like I, I really do have a pure heart in that, but that's not my natural bent. And, but it is better. It is better because to hold on to that. And I've seen it. I've seen the people that have held on to unforgiveness right. and it just eats at them and destroys relationships. And now to realize like, I don't have that. I don't have, like, I've even had people remind me of what other people mm-hmm. have done, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> right. and, but I'm thankful that's how I am yes. now because that's what God did as a gift, but that that took obedience to mm-hmm. that first person to release and go, you know what, I'm not going to do imaginary arguments in my head where I, I destroy you, and I'm not going to keep, you know, being rude to you to keep you mm-hmm. at a distance. So, yeah. All right, so let's, let's move on. Verse 5. We're going to go 5 through 8 now. I have led you, so again, this is God speaking through Moses. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. All right, let's just pause there. <laughs> Anyone who has kids knows that's a miracle, right? <laughs> that is like, a true miracle. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry, is, is Solomon at that age yet? Or, they or destroy even had everything. <laughs> yeah, like, like the clothes days, and shoes. Yeah. You know, of getting stuff. We just bought Lincoln a new pair of shoes. And then, granted, this could be a, a defect or whatever, but it's funny. I think he, it was, yeah, because he wasn't ex- he wasn't he's working out enough, right, right. Mm-hmm. but it was just like day one he's like yeah look at his toe and it was just like worn out <laughs> but yeah the kids go through shoes mm-hmm. so fast i remember this was he's not as bad anymore maybe because he has more pairs of shoes but titus when he was younger would just like he would just look at his shoes and think like how did that physically happen <laughs> where they yeah. would just wear him out and destroy him or even cole recently uh, his running shoes uh, had holes all <laughs> over them and then what's crazy is he wears the same size as me now so I gave him a pair of running shoes uh, of mine that I wasn't wearing anymore. They were actually almost the same model that he had. The next day, he's still wearing his whole ones. And I go, why? And he goes, well, I didn't know if you didn't want me to mess them up. And I'm like, that's the reason why <laughs> I gave them to you. But uh, anyways, okay, so he says, uh, your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not uh, worn off your feet. Uh, I mean, it's possible time. One of the things with our kids, do you remember this? Uh, I think it was Lincoln. Uh, we got them clothes for Christmas or something. And then our kids, when they were younger, would play this game down in our basement in the carpet 
where they'd be on their knees oh. and it was like a form of soccer soccer but with your hands and like they would scoot around and like they came up and they just worn holes in their brand new <laughs> pants that we just bought them <laughs> they'd had so much fun but as a parent you're like what in the yeah. world and they're like yeah. sorry but okay uh he goes on and says you have not eaten bread uh it, uh I don't know why it's so hard to read on my computer. <laughs> I need to do it with my fingers. You have not eaten bread. You have not drunk wine or strong drink, uh, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Shion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of the Manassites. <laughs> All right. I Good really job. can read. Yeah. Actually, last week, Chris was struggling with it, so I read for a while. So I've proven <laughs> that I can read. We believe you. <laughs> but what he's doing is he's giving more examples of his miracles, mm -hmm. God, uh, to them. And, uh, and there's also what I love, this last part. So these armies came out against them. They defeated them. And then they just, in faith, said, that land will be yours, basically in the future, because mm -hmm. they would have to go and take the promised land, and then all the land would be distributed among the different tribes. But I, I just love this image. They were claiming something as a reality because God had promised it. So they're saying, like, it's just a fact. This land we gave to you as inheritance, it's yours. But yet it's a future promise. That's how that's a powerful reality. You guys mm -hmm. get what I'm saying? Yes, like just definitely. when you have that type of faith and you go like this, this thing, even though it's in faith in the future, it's a sure thing. Mm -hmm. How does looking back on God's faithfulness give you that unwavering certainty for his future faithfulness? I'm going to start with you, Brandon. So like looking back mm -hmm. and just being able to, even in your mind and heart, reminisce about God's faithfulness, how does that impact you going forward in life and ministry? So I am a worrier by nature. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a tendency to gravitate towards anxiousness and a lot of a lot of things. And so I was reading a Devo this week and it actually said this. It said worrying is believing that God is not in control and worrying smothers our faith and robs us of the peace and joy that God promises his children. Man, that first line. Ouch. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, it hit me hard, too. Yeah, I was just saying, does it? Yeah, you read it, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but all that to say that when I reflect back on what God has done in the past, any time that I shift into that phase of worrying, it's the only thing that keeps me secure in the hope of the future. Sure. It's reflecting on what God has done in the past. It's the only thing that keeps me secure to know that worrying is not productive in this moment. God has been faithful before. He's going to be faithful mm -hmm. again. I don't know anything different than God's faithfulness, If it, you know, right. just to be honest and transparent. Like, I don't know God you know, letting me down or, right. you know, somehow not acquire, you know, attaining what he said he promised he would do. So I can always look back on those moments and say, God has been faithful then and he's going to mm -hmm. continue to be faithful throughout my entire life. That's what he's promised mm -hmm. to do. And, and what's remarkable about it, when you take a step back, you, you keep saying in a very personal note, God has always been faithful. He's never not been faithful. The truth of it is, is God has an inability to be mm -hmm. unfaithful. He can't. So yeah. he's never once been unfaithful ever yeah. in any situation. And uh, it's just a remarkable thing to think about because all of us can pick and choose if we're going to be faithful or not. Uh, Mary, why don't you mm -hmm. answer the same question, though, of just looking back, what's the importance of that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's very similar to what Brandon's saying, but there are so many situations in our life that I can look back on, mm. and there's no other reason it has turned out except for, sure. for God's faithfulness. Yep. So there have been some crazy situations. We don't have time to go into all of them, but just things that you would say there is no solution to this and then God is faithful yeah. and there is a solution and so I agree that I 
that that is all I have to do is remind myself of God's faithfulness. Now, I will say that I don't doubt God's faithfulness at all, but sometimes just the process of what this is going to look like is sometimes a little bit of a hindrance to me sure. of mm-hmm. I know God will be faithful. Right. I know he will take care of us. Right. I know you know if I'm concerned about a family situation or right. I know that things will turn out okay. It's just what's it going to look like between here and there and that's mm-hmm. the trust aspect of yeah. that God will be with us in the process not just the solution that, of it. You know, that's so a good, yeah, yeah so that's a great point because like even if you talk about this what we're actually looking at they're in the midst of the wilderness. So mm-hmm. it, every day is a struggle. Uh, they, they have not experienced luxury, comfort, really, yet. I mean, uh, there's a lot of promises. God has delivered them. He's provided for them. But can you just imagine being portable as a nation? And I don't know that in, I don't know that they knew when exactly the end w- would happen. You know what I mean? Because we know it now is 40 years. But I don't know if they were counting down, if they had a calendar, and if they knew mm-hmm. it was like that process. So there are times, it's just the reality, be, in between the promise and the payoff, there really is that that wilderness. Mm-hmm. There's the, the the process that you know the mm-hmm. use three P's. I think I heard that sermon. <laughs> that was not me. I think I heard that years ago. Uh, but in between the the promise and the payoff is the process. Mm-hmm. And and I think we have to recognize that that is everything. This side of heaven is going to have that ebb and flow to it. There mm-hmm. are going to be times where we're in the mountaintop. There's going to be times where we're in the valley, mm-hmm. and there's going to be times that things are easy. The times that things are difficult. But what does not change is God's faithfulness in each place and in right. each season. Mm-hmm. So we need to have that faith that says, okay, though this is uncomfortable, there's a purpose to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what he's reminding them of. Mm-hmm. It's like, look back so that you can look forward. Um, so let's continue. Let's go verses 9 through 14 or through 15. He says, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. Again, just that, that reoccurring theme he keeps saying to him. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and a sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you. And he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. So he's what he's saying to them is, again, it's just the same concept. He's just reminding them of his faithfulness. But I I love the intimacy of the language of he's saying, like, I'm your God. I'm connected to you. Like, I have a covenant with you. But then he also says, it's not just for you. And, and I love that future image. He's mm-hmm. saying, it's, it's for you. It, it's mm-hmm. for those I made a promise in the past. It's for you. But it's also for whoever is not here with us today in the future. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what he's speaking to the future. And, and I think that really is a question that we should ask and wrestle with as we look at God's interaction with the Israelites is why did God do this for them and to them? Um, so he, he did it for them in that generation that they might experience the power and love of God. He, he loved them. Mm-hmm. So like they weren't a means to an end. In that right. generation, in that season, he loved them. He was doing something in them and, and through them, for them. But also knowing that their interaction with God would be a testament mm-hmm. to other nations. That was his ultimate goal, that they would live in such a way that the world would see what it means to be in a relationship with God, but also for future generations. And, and I think it's the same thing today. I think it's the same relationship that God wants with us that we should be an example. So they were supposed to be an example to everyone alive. Like they, 
God really wanted them to be so blessed that it, it just piqued the curiosity of other nations and they would see it differently. God's actual physical presence would be in their temple. They would be successful in battle. They would be successful in life. They would have the blessing of God and other nations would then be drawn to it. And God made provision that if you were not an Israelite, you could become a part of the community through following the covenant. So the men would be circumcised and they could step into this, follow the law, because that's always been the heart of God. He connects to his people, he loves them, he blesses them so that when they walk in obedience, they can be an example to the world. Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about that for a moment because I think each one of us have had individuals at some point in our life that have lived in such a way that it helped influence our relationship with God. Like we've seen them. So I obviously I'm very connected to you and your family um, and I know the story. So I'm gonna start with you and then we'll go mm -hmm. to Brandon. Wh who are some people? Mm -hmm. uh, you could highlight a ton. But, right. but who are the people that you want to talk about that have really influenced your faith? Yeah. Well, I think my parents have probably been the most impactful people in influencing my faith sure. in my life. Uh, growing up, I know I was blessed, but I grew up in a Christian home where both my parents loved God, and they really modeled that for us and modeled what a true personal relationship with God looked like. Mm -hmm. um, and I probably was, I was around my mom a little bit more just because she was my teacher and one of my teachers in school worked at the school that we went to. Um, so I saw faith play out in her life in a major way in how she interacted with people, how she raised us as kids, how she was uh, just a really good friend in life. Mm -hmm. My dad as well too, like wonderful things I could say about my dad. Um, but I think just seeing them walk out their spiritual life was such an encouragement to me. Um, knowing God at such a young age, it's like I didn't really have a desire to do something mm -hmm. different. So sure, I'm super yeah. thankful that I had a desire to love God and serve God from an early age. And mm -hmm. I know that's been a blessing in my life. For sure. Brandon? Yeah, this is kind of a generic answer, but I would just say the church in general, this church, yeah. has been a huge influence in my faith. Uh, clearly, this is where I made the decision to follow Christ. This is where I was baptized. This is where my journey has always been. And the leaders that have been there, including you and, and Mary and everybody else in those positions. Uh, but the biggest influence on me, not only apart from you, has just been the stories that come out of connect groups and the connect group leaders mm -hmm. themselves. And we had an ability to sit down with some leaders, just a few weeks ago. And mm -hmm. I wish I could just push play and record every single one of them talking about the monumental steps of faith that yeah. were occurring in their lives, but also in the lives of their, their, uh, their church or group members. And I love the, the demographic of our church. If you were to step back and look and even take a survey, you would see that there's just such a variety of individuals in this church. But totally, anybody yeah. who is called in the name of the Lord has these amazing stories of how faith has impacted them. And that's what we I get to be experienced. We mm -hmm. get to be experienced of every single day. And it just mm -hmm. encourages me all the time. Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, I'm a mixture of both of your guys' <laughs> answers in that. I was the same thing. I was raised in a Christian home. Um, my, my father, I've talked about this before, really gave me a love of God's word. Mm -hmm. um, the phrase that he would use whenever we had discussions and whether we were arguing or discussing something, he would always say book, chapter, verse. Show me in the Bible where it says that. Mm -hmm. And he, what, he knew he could argue with me, and, and I couldn't keep up with him at that point. What he was trying to do is train me to, to go to the Bible. So I had that foundation. Um, also just the, the foundation of faith. My parents, they, they left what was comfortable to go to Detroit and take over a church. And so I witnessed that my whole life. My mom um, really modeled what it means to serve. I mean, she, she gives her all to ministry. She's always kind of been that way. 
Um, incredible generosity. So I had that incredible foundation growing up. I'm multiple generation believer. So like my grandparents were pastors. And so I had that legacy too. And they're wonderful examples. But then I, I agree with you coming to church and like being a part of the ministry and just seeing mm -hmm. faith work out in people's lives, um, whether it be the staff or the elders and then this, the, the, um, the members of the church and to hear their stories. All we hear is more testament of God's faithfulness. And it, it's too broad and it's too common for it to be an accident. Absolutely. You know, it, we're not reading between like, oh, was that was that a miracle? Wasn't I mean, like you just hear these stories and you're like, come on, like that doesn't just happen. And and so, yeah, my faith has just been so established that way. Um, this sounds like a, a, a question, another question, you know, for, for us to pat ourselves on the back. I don't mean it that way. But how has your relationship with God impacted others relationships with God? Um, I, I know I'll, I'll answer first uh, just to make it easier for you guys to answer. But. <laughs> I do realize that my relationship with God impacts my marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, um, and you can argue with me if this is not correct, but I think in many ways um, I have modeled faith for, for us sure. as a family and, and for us as a church and, and shown that to you and to our kids mm -hmm. of like, no, this is real. Faith is real to us because it is real to me. Like I can't think outside of faith. Like it's my only perspective of life. But I also recognize with our kids. Um, our three sons right now are on a missions trip, and <laughs> I'm thankful that all four of our kids love God, love the ministry, love serving, and you see faith being worked out even in your children. I know y your kids are, are the same way. Actually, our daughters are together right now. Yeah, I don't right. know if you, if you know that, I but uh, yeah, Mary or uh, Nora was at the door literally with her bag <laughs> waiting for Megan to show up. It was nice. just so cute that she mm -hmm. so loves, uh, and Hattie was over uh, earlier this mm -hmm. week, um, which Hattie is such a miniature version of Megan oh, yeah. that it's it's fu it gets funnier and funnier to me every time I see her because yeah, the order she gets for sure yeah, yeah. It, it's just like when she comes in I'm like hello um, but anyway yeah so just seeing that so how has your relationship impacted other people I mean I'll talk with you first and then we'll go Mary mm -hmm. yeah years ago when I was in college um, I had a, a person I didn't even know share a word with me through a friend mm -hmm. and we were going on a missions trip and she shared words with everybody on that trip and in there, she shared a scripture from Philemon or Philemon or however mm -hmm. you, you say it, you personally say it. But the idea was that uh, Paul was encouraging Philemon or being encouraged by him that he was a refresher of the hearts of the saints. And try not to get too emotional, mm -hmm. but um, that word was shared with me as if mm -hmm. I could be that individual yeah, if I wow. continued in faith with, with Christ, you know. Um, and I've held that near and dear to my heart every single day as I walk through. I just remind myself that I have the power to be the refresher of the hearts of the saints. And, and so for me, that is the energy that drives me every day, whether it's in the life of my kiddos, whether it's in the church, whether it's mm -hmm. within my friendships, within my marriage, all those things. Even when I get down and out, I remind myself that I was called to be the refresher of the hearts sure. of the saints and encourage them and lift them up and, um, and help them in, in many, many different seasons. And so I take that responsibility very near and dear. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that I hope and to, to influence my kiddos and yeah. influence everybody around me. How is that scripture not tattooed somewhere? <laughs> on you, man? Maybe my next one. <laughs> oh, man, that's such a cool story. That I don't know if I've ever even heard that story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to get it tattooed and say, this is for Brandon. And it's just going to point at Brandon. <laughs> Stand by Brandon. Yeah, all the, the time. Back. Like, <laughs> the encourager. It points to me. Yeah. It's just an arrow. <laughs> Every time I'm like, Brandon, I need to get on the right side. Yeah. So. Mary, how about you? <laughs> uh, well, you're right. It does feel kind of funny to yes. answer this question. So thanks for going first. But... Um, <laughs> No, I think we each of us having the privilege of being on staff, we have the opportunities to connect mm -hmm. with people in a unique way that um, 
maybe some other people don't, although every person has an opportunity to connect right. with people in their life. But I've had some really neat opportunities through some women um, connect groups that I've led to develop relationships with people and be an encouragement to them along with them encouraging me and influencing me in my faith. Mm -hmm. But um, that's been really powerful. And then part of my job here at the tree working with um, core membership is helping people legit take steps of faith in okay. their relationship with God. So I get to encourage them okay. by telling them some of the really powerful things that have happened to me, but also sure. I hear so many testimonies through doing core membership that I can encourage people who are interested in core by saying, hey, I just had a meeting last week with somebody who's wrestling with this issue mm -hmm. and they are taking the step of faith or I just met with them last year and now they've taken these steps mm -hmm. of faith so I can be encouraging sharing other people's stories yeah, with them. Yeah, that's good. Uh, before we move on, one other thing I want to highlight from this passage. So again, just kind of going back to the verses where he's talking about it's not, not just for you, it's for future generations, but it really is embracing that faith perspective. And I was thinking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament, all of it was foreshadowing present-day truths. So everything God did, God is such a, a masterful storyteller. Um, the imagery that he used was so powerful. He's an, an incredible teacher. But one of the things that you realize is faith is the only thing that allows you to see truth. Um, what I mean by that is uh, I think we've all had conversations with people who don't have faith and they can look at mm -hmm. your perspective and it's just different. Um, it, and, and even at times can be argumentative. Like I've had people say, hey, I'm talking to this person, they're not a Christian, what's the scripture I can share with them? And I usually respond, I don't know that I'll recommend any scripture because that's not, they're not, they don't have a faith perspective. So they're not going to embrace that as truth. But you know, I, you guys know this, but when you have a faith perspective, you start to see God more. Mm -hmm. you, you guys get what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. it, it opens up your mind. You see, not only do you see his truth, so like you read these stories and someone else can read the exact same story, not have faith. And they go, this is so weird. Deuteronomy's and Deuteronomy is strange, right? <laughs> if you don't have faith, Deuteronomy reading it going like what? With faith, you go, no, I understand it. I get it. Same thing in life. It's like you can have these up and down moments, but when you have faith, you go, oh, I see God moving. Right. Someone else goes, oh, come on. I don't, I don't see God. You're like, no, no, no. With faith, I can, I can see God moving. Um, faith is the lens that opens up the truth to us. What does a faith perspective look like for you two in your everyday life? Um, and, and the reason, again, I know the answers to this. We're all close friends, right? We're really close. We're married mm -hmm. in, together. But, I mean, we've been really good friends for a long time. So, I obviously, these questions, I could just fill in the blanks for you guys. <laughs> but I want our audience to understand because there's a lot of people that are engaged in this that are trying to grow in maturity and grow mm -hmm. in faith. God has blessed us to lead us on this journey to a place of maturity, to a place of leadership where we're instructing others. So give them some insight on what does a faith perspective every day look like for you so that they can start to maybe bring some of those things into their own relationship with God. Um, I'll go with you, Brandon, and then we'll go, Mary. Yeah, when you asked this question, I instantly thought of that scripture that comes from Hebrews eleven six, which talks about God rewards those who earnestly seek them. And in front of that is the idea of faith, that right. you can't please God without having faith. I have quoted that scripture the last two or three Bible studies. Have you really? Yeah, like <laughs> I just, we've talked about it even at home, like yeah. this past week, like I have used that, reference that verse like 90 times. Crazy. It's just one of those things that in this season, it's like mm -hmm. really vivid to me. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that idea of earnestly seeking him is when I, when you ask this question is what I immediately went to because I've had a life where I haven't earnestly sought him right. and I've experienced that portion of it. And then I've had a life where I've started to develop in that area of just making him a part of my everyday. So that's constant prayer, 
constant surrender. The surrender is kind of the biggest portion of it, yeah. of just laying things down every every single moment, it seems like sometimes, you know, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Would you strengthen me in this area? Uh, Lord, I have a very tough situation coming up today. Would you guide me in those those specific mm-hmm. things? So you're talking about, again, I, I know what you're saying, but yeah. you're talking about areas of marriage, areas of ministry, yes. of parenting, of your own personal life. Like yes. There's those constant moments throughout the day where you face something where you're like, you can go to fear, you can go to panic, you can go to anger, you can go you know, frustration, stress, and you're having to pause and go, this is what a faith perspective looks like in every season, in every moment. You got to go to God and say, God, I need your help in this. I'm surrendering this to you. Yeah, right? and, and we just had a staycation a few weeks ago, and there was like a perfect example of this. I could easily be ticked about situations that are going right. on, annoyed by situations, and by the end of the week, I just said, finally, I was like, God, I don't want anything to do with this. I need to just surrender this to you and trust that, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to do good in, in these process or in these situations. Right. And so it was just a constant surrender and prayer of, of things that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary, what does it look like in your everyday life of just having faith and having a faith perspective? I think the idea of the things that God asks me to do, doing those things, knowing that there's a reason or a purpose mm-hmm. in those things. Yeah. So uh, some of the things that you even listed, Brandon, but spending time in God's presence, like there's a reason why God asks us to do that because it does something supernatural to mm-hmm. us that we couldn't do on our own. Okay, so um, again, I know the answers to this, but I, we're speaking at, at, at maybe a higher level sure. than I want, I want to come down a little bit. What does it mean to, to spend time in God's presence? So, like, well, Do we have a special room that we open <laughs> up and it's like, oh, you know. No, we do right. not, <laughs> no. Um, spending time in his presence, even just like on a practical uh, level, like making time to read the word of God or devotional, mm-hmm. spending time in prayer, time in worship, those kinds of things on an everyday basis right. in our home. And you wake up early to do that. That's, that's, you Try set. To. <laughs> well, you, you know, you're, yeah, you, yeah it, you wake up yeah. sometimes at five that's in the a, it's morning. It's a tough right, rhythm. To, yeah. To, to get up and to read, mm-hmm. um, or you set aside a time during the day. I'm going to sit mm-hmm. down, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, you engage worship music throughout the day. Like right. That's a, a natural rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen yeah. to sermons. And yes. Stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know how you listen to all the sermons you do because <laughs> you're constantly referencing <laughs> sermons, and I'm like, what, when do you have time to listen to all these sermons? Oh, they're broken up a lot. It's not usually like a 45-minute time period. But just never my sermons. So, <laughs> Whatever. So Whatever. I've heard all your sermons. I re-listen to them. <laughs> I live them out in my everyday life. She's like, children, um. gather around. Let's listen to Father as he teaches. <laughs> oh, I love being a part of this. Right <laughs> now. Great. You know what's funny? Uh, so our son Titus is really a student of, of the word. He listens to all these Bible studies. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go downstairs and he will be like just playing Fortnite with his phone <laughs> on his chest. He's, he has this huge beanbag. He'll be laying there in his beanbag, his phone on his chest, listening to the podcast while playing Fortnite. And I'm like, I can't hate on that. Like, I, I love that. Like, Shout out to Titus. Yeah, I mean, so playing video games, taking in the word of God. Like, yeah. I, I love it. Um, but some other practical things I was just thinking about are, um, and Brandon, you already referenced this too, but like reaching out to people that God's put on my heart. So that is like operating in mm. faith or taking, sure. that's what it looks like in an everyday situation, encouraging others, and then choosing to trust God in tough seasons. So um, as you're going through a tough season in life, knowing, like I said earlier, that God is going to be faithful. So just mm-hmm. choosing to trust him in the process of it. Do you guys have any one story that you could tell uh, where you had like a, a situation that the faith perspective allowed you to view it differently than if you had a non-faith perspective? I, I love personal stories, but if <laughs> not. 
I had a moment this week. It was okay. crazy. Uh, you've talked a couple of weeks ago on the Holy Spirit and the gifts, and I've been viewing kind of the gifts and graces in mm-hmm. that same hand in hand because that's what you're teaching. And uh, this week I had a grace from God there was a situation with our cars. Like one, another one went down, and you guys know how that is. <laughs> it's like you're just instantly frustrated, yeah. and you don't know what to do, how to handle it. And I had supernatural faith in a moment, and I believe God fixed the car. Like I, it oh, like that's ended up awesome. making could drive it home. Like it was like busted. Like wasn't doing wow. anything, and yeah. then she was able to drive it home. And that's not a credit to me. I'm just saying, like mm-hmm. that in that moment, that's not my normal bent. But yeah. uh, in that moment, God moved, and I was able to trust Him in faith and surrender it in prayer, and um, and hopefully the car <laughs> <laughs> fixed. Yeah. But but it was like this supernatural moment, and it felt so different trusting in faith sure. versus my normal bent. So. Mm-hmm. Man, the next time we have car trouble, I'm going to have you come <laughs> over and <laughs> yeah, make hands on it. You know no, what? My grandma and grandpa told me this. My grandma told me this, uh, that she would, um, this is an old school phrase, but she would plead the blood of Jesus over the washing machine and, and dryer at times. And like, she has told stories yeah. of like, where she felt like God supernaturally fixed it because I didn't have the resources to pay to get a new one or to get it fixed. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mary, do you have a story? I can't, I mean, I do. I have lots of stories of, um, God coming through in tough situations, but I'm trying to think of one that would be easy to look at from a non-faith perspective. And well, I'll, I'll talk then for a while um, so that you can have a better answer than what you just gave. <laughs> so, well, no, I mean, our, uh, so I this was something I, I was thinking about before we did the podcast, but um, the the idea of trusting God will be faithful. So we're going through. We're, we are not in a dire car situation right now, but we're trying right. to make a car decision, some car decisions, which we which hate. I absolutely we hate. hate. To do with cars, yeah. And it does create anxiety in me because I want to do the right thing. I want to be a good steward with what God's given us, and so I hate this so much. And but even um, this week, I did pray. I said, and, and we talked about it that God will be faithful. He always is. Right. So he will give us wisdom and what's the best thing to do. It's just this, like, figuring that out right now in the process of it. But I think I could naturally go to, oh, this is miserable. I hate making this decision, right. to but instead saying, God, yeah. we know you'll you'll come through for us. Yeah, and this week I prayed that you would have the same feelings that I would have. <laughs> I was like, align her heart with mine. No, Here, here's how every discussion. You want your bronco, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a secondary thing. But here's how every discussion anything with finance with marrying me like a hundred percent of them whether it's the house if, if we're doing anything like fixing something buying something doesn't matter what it is mary wants to go more conservative uh more frugal and i want to go newer nicer less headache you more know expensive. what i mean more expensive right yeah um he's got you, you pay for what you get or you get what you pay for it but it always is that tension and right i don't know if you guys are that way you and megan mm-hmm. yeah and so like you know what? I'm trying to guess. Would you be more frugal? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Megan be more. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, so yeah, so like in all of our discussions, it's just funny because, like, I we we're at lunch th- today before we came in for the Bible study, and I said, "All right, basically, like it's it's older vehicle, more miles, less expensive, newer, less miles, more expensive. Like those are the only two options. Which one do you want?" And obviously, she chose this one, and I chose this one. Like it's every decision. I was like, we both just kind of stared at each other, kind of smiling, like. <laughs> Like this We're is right. what, yeah. do do? what do we do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was like, you know, wives submit to your husbands. And, uh, no, I'm <laughs> Just husbands never. love your wife. Christ <laughs> loved the church. Dying to himself. Brandon's nervous laughing. Uh-huh, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> this is like watching mom and dad fight. No, I don't like it. All right. So the last thing I'll say about that passage that, that I just put in my notes is each generation needs to make this covenant. And what I mean by that is he says, it's not just for you, but it's for whoever comes later. 
it really is our responsibility to live in such a way that impacts this generation, but every generation has to make the covenant. So, like, so you had an example in your parents, but you still ha had to make mm -hmm. that choice. Our kids still have to make right. that choice. And, and I think we need to understand it is our responsibility. There is a future generation dependent upon faith choices that we make now. And, and I would even encourage parents that way. Mm -hmm. Choices you make now are impacting your kids. You gotta make that covenant now. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go on. Uh, in verse 16, um, let's see, let me check how much we got left. We're gonna have to kind of crank through some of this. Um, but it's been a great discussion. Uh, verses 16 through 19, he says, uh, You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist, <laughs> dry alike. That favorite word of everyone. This is an interesting perspective. I, I love the, the realness of the word of God as he speaks. He's saying, okay, remember, you're, you're, you're going through this land. You're going to see all these other nations. And, and here's what's said in other places. It's not said specifically here, but it's implied here. All these nations that you're about to destroy who worshiped fake gods, their gods were fake. Mm -hmm. Like So there always is the context of God saying, remember, I'm real. I'm blessing you. You're having success. These nations who worship these things that they created had no success. Like Always remember that. But he goes, here's the fear. There'll be, he said, it could be a man, it could be a woman, it could be a clan, it could be the culture mm -hmm. that says, you know what? I'm good. And this is my paraphrase, obviously, but I'm good. Like, I'm going to be okay to disobey God. I'm going to be okay. And, and what he's connecting is there is this arrogance mm -hmm. in the concept of idolatry, worshiping anything else. But there even is idolatry in the arrogance of our hearts when we say, I'm good. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have to obey God. I'm going to be okay. And, and I think that's, that's the tension for us as Christians is at times, I refer to it this way, it's probably not unique to my own phraseology, but the grocery store Christianity where we pick and choose what we're going to believe of God, what we're gonna obey in God, as if somehow we are smart enough to improve on God's plan for our life. And so he says, um, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Uh, and when I studied that, what they, most people agree on is he's referencing a proverb of the time that was communicating that no one escapes the scorching heat of God's judgment, not even the wetlands or dry lands. Like we, we picture the dry lands are gonna experience heat, but he's like, even the wetlands, it all, when, when God's judgment comes. Um, so uh, let's just see how many times we can say moist in our <laughs> answers. But, uh, but anyways, so here's a question is, why do we naturally go toward arrogance with God? You know, you would think, you would think in our rhythm with God, he's been so faithful. Like whenever we stop and have a logical conversation, Going to arrogance is so illogical, but yet right. we still do it. Mm -hmm. Like all of us do it where we, we go to fear. You know, fear is illogical in the context of God. You know what I'm saying? Like when we can think about it, the selfishness is illogical. Unforgiveness is illogical, and yet we do it. Uh, why do we naturally go toward arrogance? Mary, can you answer that question? <laughs> I mean, it's a deep question, but yeah. yeah. I think it's just human nature. I hate this about me <laughs> and just human nature in general, but I think the moment we do experience success, it's so easy to somehow think that it's our, because of 
choices mm-hmm. that we've made. We did it right. Yeah. Right. Rather than recognizing, no, it's completely in God's hands. Yeah. And so I think it's just a natural part of human nature, pride, um, that is our bent. It's yeah. what, what happens at times. Um, and I think at times we want the upper hand. So it, it feels good mm-hmm. to feel like, yeah, something I did that right. caused this to be successful, but yet never want to take the blame for when things go <laughs> poorly. Yeah, you know, that was a, a revelation to me uh, years ago in ministry. Uh, I realized if there was anything that went well, I gave God credit, and it was genuine. I, I, I want to be as, as, as in tune with my own heart as I can be. I, I feel like I was genuine, like, thank you, God. But whenever something went bad, in my opinion, I took the blame for it because I was like, oh, my, you know, I did this or my bad leadership. And I really had to be checked on that by the Holy Spirit to realize when you're following God, there's going to be the ups and downs of mm-hmm. life but to truly trust God in the ministry. And I'll tell you, that was pivotal to me because even now, when I'm in a season, I'm in a season right now where there are some choices that, that I have to make into the future and, and positions we need filled and different things that it's so, it would be so natural for me to go to anxiety, to stress. And I'm at a place again where I'm like, you know what, for the probably the first time in ministry where I'm just going, God, this is on you. Mm-hmm. Like you're responsible for this. And I'm realizing, like, I don't have to be arrogant to think it's all on me because God is faithful. Uh, how can we, what can we do, in, in your opinion, in your experience, to avoid the idolatry of arrogance and, and foolishness? What can we do? Uh, that's tough. It uh, is tough, yeah. I think in, in what I've experienced, it's just putting healthy guardrails in your life. Um, mm-hmm. Having loving friends that you can trust with information, whether it's you know you're confessing something to them or you're just having everyday conversations. I mean, we're doing the me healthy, we healthy thing right now. We're consistently with, with meeting our staff, yeah. with our staff. Yeah, we're meeting with friends who are willing to give us feedback and, and honest feedback at times. You know, mm-hmm. it's not always wonderful. Uh, extended time with God is clearly one. You know, let, letting the Word of God expose our hearts, letting the Holy Spirit expose our hearts in those times when we need it. And, and healthy teaching. I think uh, a community, a church, is one of the most beneficial things in the life of, of, of anybody, if you, whether you're a new believer or you've been in the faith for a very long time, because it pre- pre- creates a guardrail that you wouldn't naturally have in your life mm-hmm. if you didn't have it. So I think c- creating those guardrails, uh, keeping your heart soft through those things, mm-hmm. and allowing God to speak yeah. to you in all those situations. And good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I really do think that the arrogance leads us to isolation, where yeah. we think like we're an army of one. You know, I'm, I'm good in and of myself. Inviting other people in, and we've all learned this, man. You invite other perspectives, it's shocking, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we get this in marriage. Like, you, you can be thinking like, I am crushing <laughs> it as a husband, and your wife's like, oh, are you now? Right? You know, like, you're not going to speak to that because you're kind. But you know what I mean? Like, where, or just in life, you just think, like, you're coming across one way, and then you have all, you, all it takes is one person to go, oh, wow, that's, that's not how I perceive that. And you're like, okay. But you need that. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to read a, a chunk of verses, and then we're almost done. Uh, and we're going to read verses 20 through 28. I will say this. As I'm reading, Brandon, every time you look at me while I'm reading, I can see that corner of my eye. I think I must have just said something wrong. Do you ever, ever have that insecurity? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just processing it. You just keep looking at me like, what words are you saying? Why did he pronounce it that You've way? You've only done that once in Bible study. <laughs> where you're reading the completely different scripture. <laughs> oh, I did do that. Uh, I don't know if we already told that story. Yeah. Uh, we had a... Uh, it was one of the first ones. The very first one I ever did. Yeah, it was one. It wasn't Were on you video panicking? yet. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I didn't study for that. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't on video yet. And uh, it was like one of the first ones we did as a group discussion. We hadn't recorded a video. And uh, and so I was hosting it. And I started, I think I pulled open the wrong notes. It was and the I, first one, yeah. So I started reading basically the scriptures from the, the previous week. 
And, but then we had such great discussion because my <laughs> questions were right or something. I can't remember what I yeah. did. I think I, the Bible I had it on the wrong thing, but my questions were right. So we had this great discussion. And then we realized, I realized it like we were like 20 minutes into it. And I went, <laughs> oh, no, but that was such good discussion. So I just went back and read the correct verses, and mm -hmm. they spliced it in. Uh, but it was funny. These guys are all like they're moving their notes around. They're like, uh-oh, what are we doing? So. All right, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him. So this is the person who has arrogance in the heart. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. I'm going to pause and uh, just address that. I want people to understand the reason why that person would not be forgiven is just because the judgment would come before he repented. Um, what he's not saying is that th this is an impartable sin that God will never forgive. And the reason why I can say that, if you look at the few verses that start the next chapter, it is God saying, now, when you guys are facing consequence, if you repent, I'll forgive. So God is a God of forgiveness. He's just saying there is that, that reality that at times the consequence comes so fast mm -hmm. that your life is devastated. Mm -hmm. um, he goes on and says, And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. And, the, and this, or in the next generation, your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say when they see the afflictions of that land and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with uh, brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing, where no plant can sprout and overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, uh, Adama and Zeboam, that's a cool name, which the probably like a place that was absolutely destroyed. I actually don't know what that is. Brandon, do you know what that is? I don't. Okay. All right, Mary? No. All right. None of us did our homework on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Which the Lord overthrew with his anger and wrath. It's, it's weird to make jokes in the middle of that verse. I'm realizing now. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land? What caused the heat of his great anger? Then the people will say, it's because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury, fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. So, when you look at this, God is warning them again with a prophetic word. We looked at this last um, Bible study. God was specifically, as he's warning them, he actually knows they're going to eventually do this because there's this, he's being very specific. He's talking about what would happen later with Assyria and Babylon coming in and conquering and exiling them. But it's really fascinating to me when, when I look at this is he's prophesying future destruction, but he's also in the same heart having a heart of redemption. Mm -hmm. uh, as I said, the next few verses after this study, so in next week's study, are going to be talking about God offering forgiveness to them. And, and what you look at is it's just once again, it's this concept of God saying, every time I discipline, every time I curse, every time I come against, it's not simply punitive. It is to get your attention because mm -hmm. what God ultimately desires and wants is blessing. Mm -hmm. That's what God wants to do. And he's saying, but your life is going to be an example no matter what. And I think this is the point I, I yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want us to miss is our lives are going to be an example no matter what. Either your life is going to be an example of blessing, of God's favor, of God's presence in your life. I mean, this is the concept of the salt and the light. What mm -hmm. I talked about on, on Sunday in this new series that we're in is we are called to be such an example to the world that they look at us and they go, okay, that's what a relationship with God looks like. So that's one example that we can be. 
But the other example can be what not to do and the consequences of it. He's saying for those of you that are trying to, to be in a relationship and kind of walk this line, he goes, here's what I'm promising. This is my covenant. I'm going to bless and I'm going to curse. And uh, you guys remember those uh, demotivation posters? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the funny one. So there was the motivation posters, there was demotivation. I remember there was one that I just always thought was so funny to the point where I almost printed it out and put it in my <laughs> office. It was just this like half ship coming out of the water, like a shipwreck. And it says like, basically I'm paraphrasing here, but some of you, your lives are just an example to the rest of the world of what not to do. Or something like it just stands there <laughs> sure. as an example. And it was like Absolutely. failure or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, this is the idea that he's saying to them is guys understand that your life is going to be an example one way or another. Now think about that. To mm -hmm. me, that's a lot of weight. It's like everywhere I go, I am in one way being an example. Uh, how have you learned? I'll, I'll start with you, Mary. How have you learned from others' mistakes and God's discipline in their life? Mm -hmm. I have learned how unaddressed sin or unconfessed sin can just be so destructive in a life. Yeah. And every time I see it happen, um, I, it, it's kind of like a shock again, sure. like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. that's so important mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm having a pure heart and mm -hmm. evaluating my life and asking God to convict me. But yeah, it's so easy to not address right. sin in my life. So, um, I think I'm thankful for those examples. I don't, of course, want people like to be an example mm -hmm. to me of God's discipline, but right. I think anytime it happens, it's a wake up call. It's yeah. a good reminder. But, but yeah, but that's how God even wants it, though. I, that right. sounds like an arrogant thing. And you guys, again, I've had multiple questions that way. I'm not trying to elevate us. I'm saying this is a journey of faith. This is a part of it where you should be looking at other people's successes and failures and learning from both. Um, that's not arrogance. That's not even like that's not even being judgmental of them. It's just saying, OK, I see it. when they do this. Good things happen. I want to do that when they do this. Bad things happen. Well, I don't want right. to do that. It, it's learning. And that's where he says this generation or this group, if you turn from God, all the other nations are going to look and people are going to say, why? What happened? Why did God do that? And they're going to say, it's because they broke the covenant. And so it's the truth that's being communicated. If they would have honored the covenant, God would have blessed them. Uh, how about you? Have you ever looked at someone else's mistakes or been examples where you've gone like, oh, I got to learn from that? Yeah, you know, there's people who are empathetic criers, like people who, when they see somebody else cry, it just automatically makes them cry. Yeah. I feel like I'm an empathetic mistaker. Like when I <laughs> see people make mistakes, like there's something in me that takes a warning. Like I instantly yeah. go into warning mode and I start observing consequences for the choices that they're making, which we unfortunately get to see that a lot in church, you know, people making choices and, and then watching their lives kind of unravel and things. And so I think that's a blessing to me because yeah. it warns me mm -hmm. against making maybe similar decisions or making, you know, arrogant decisions or, or sweeping into those modes at times. And so I call myself an empathetic mistake because <laughs> I've always been that way. I've always like observed from afar yeah. and just watched people. And it's kept me from a lot of stupid decisions at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I read every single article that talks about a pastor's failure. Mm -hmm. And not because I'm like, ooh, I want the scoop and I want right. the gossip, uh, because I, there is a balance to that. Like, I won't even listen to a, like, there's been some podcasts that have been through exposed churches. I'm not into that kind of stuff. Um, but the reason why I read them is for that reason, is I, I want to figure out where there's systematic, because I think there always is, a systematic reason why that person went down that pathway that destroyed their marriage, destroyed their church, their life, because I want to learn from that. Yeah. And um, and so, like, yeah, I agree. I look at people like, man, I just want to learn, so I don't have to make that mistake right. myself. And, and I think we've all seen the opposite. We've seen the people who have had such blessing in their life and you just think, I want to be around them. Mm -hmm. I want to be around. Them. I think of like one of our elders, Mike Milby oh, and sure. uh, you know, a guy like that who's just lived this incredible life and his, his brother, Tom. And, 
and uh, it, they've led these incredible lives of character and faithfulness and generosity and you just see God's blessing. It's not that life is perfect and easy, but you right. see God's blessing. You're like, man, I want to learn from Absolutely. them. I want to be around them. Uh, all right, the last verse and then the, the final question. I would just want to say oh, yeah. one thing about that is I think in observing people who have been obedient and have had God's blessing, they have been very purpose people. Mm -hmm. yeah. It didn't just mm -hmm. happen by accident. Right. And right. I think yeah. sometimes it's easy to look at somebody and go, oh, they're just lucky right. or right. things just have worked out so well in their lives, even if they've had trouble. Um, but it's not them just right. being lucky. It's the fact that they've set up those guardrails or they've set up mm -hmm. accountability in their life. They've made really hard choices yeah. in order for them to experience blessing. Very good. The final verse of this chapter, 29-29, says, uh, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So what he's saying is God has revealed to us his truth, and so we have no excuse, and, and that we obviously fall into the same thing. We have no excuse. And I would say even in this generation, truth of God's word is readily available to us through actual printed, uh, digital, all these different methods. Here's the final question I want to give. We're, we're all parents here. As parents, it's our responsibility to teach these truths and rhythm to our kids. Uh, how are you teaching your children? And I, I'm asking that specifically, not in vague concept. I'm s for the, the people who are listening that are going like, like, okay, I want to teach my kids, but what does that practically look like? Uh, I'll go, Mary, then Brandon will bring mm -hmm. us home with an awesome <laughs> word. <laughs> <laughs> the best advice. I think when I think about how we're trying to raise our kids is through um, purpose conversations and through the lens of faith. So viewing things, whether it's situations at school, friendships, how we're trying to teach our kids to speak, um, the things not to say, uh, how to be an example to their friends of a person who loves God. I think it's just always coming back to viewing it through the lens of who God is and what he's calling us to yeah, do. So if they're having relational problems, we're, we're talking mm -hmm. scriptures with them. We're talking right. biblical principles. Uh, if they want to, if they've been caught doing a behavior, we talk right. about spiritual things. If uh, if they're stressed or hurting, we talk about it through the lens of God's love. And Absolutely. yeah, so everything is a spiritual conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just want to add a little bit to it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I think that's just what, I mean, I was just having a conversation yesterday with our daughter and I was uh, tying it into how God desires for us to be and mm -hmm. how he desires for us to act. And I want that to be just something normal that they are evaluating their own behavior yeah. based off of that and not using it as, well, God would be unhappy if he saw you do that, right, but yeah. more like, how do you think God wants you to respond in this situation? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, and it's really hard to respond in the way that he wants you to. And that's part of choosing yeah. to live this life that follows Christ. Yeah, and then our children get to, to see that faith is real to us, mm -hmm. that it's not a concept we, I talked about on Sunday then at home live a different different way we we try to model that in mm -hmm. the way that we speak to our kids and the value systems of our home and then even them getting to see out see the um it play out so the blessings of doing the hard things so that's been really cool is to sure. have some uh situations where they've made really tough choices and then they get to see later down the road all that that paid off and yeah. now i can see why you wanted me to do it that mm -hmm. way so. no, right that's in. good stuff I think this is one of the biggest tensions in my heart right now. Really, this whole week I've just been like meditating on all week long because my kids are starting to get older. And so now they're starting to make decisions that have 
larger consequences you know that it's not just simply hey you threw your your pacifier across the room you know <laughs> yeah. it's it's that you're now making choices that impact mom and dad you're making in choices that impact your friendships and even yeah. your everyday life and and mary said it so well in the idea of uh, modeling it for their kids but i think also there's a portion of, of protecting them and that's what i've had to learn as a parent is protecting their hearts and minds like making sure what they're watching you know and making and being diligent about being on top of what they're reading and, and all the things that they're getting into, even somewhat, which is the tension I know you guys have wrestled with, is even friendships, uh, knowing who to allow them to yeah. spend a large portion of time with, you know, those types of things. So just protecting them on, the, on all those levels, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I would add to what Mary said is where it began was the end in mind. We, mm -hmm. we knew where we wanted our kids to end up in the sense of being true disciples of Jesus Christ. So every decision that we can, uh, every decision was made in light of that. So like you're saying, who they hang out with, what they can engage, what privileges they have. I, I, we're very strict um, in comparison, I think, to a lot of other families. And it's all because of purpose, though. We're not mm -hmm. just trying to <laughs> withhold fun. And so we're very, very fun on the one side. We, we go out of our way to have experiences for our kids, be super generous. But then we also hold firm to the standard because we are called to protect them. And so like I, we have huge restrictions on social media. Our kids don't have social media. Cole has uh, one, uh, one social media app and I monitor it consistently. Uh, but besides that, you know, we really shelter what apps they can have on their phone, what apps they can't, what they can watch, what they can't. Um, and, and then the other thing I would say is, uh, and I, I've said this as bluntly as I possibly can, I've yet to meet the kid um, who truly believes that faith is real where their family doesn't make church a priority. Mm -hmm. um, I think when families don't make church a priority, it clearly communicates to your kids that faith is not a priority. And, uh, and someone could argue with me on that, but that's just been my experience. In 20 plus years of ministry, that's what I see over and over and over. And uh, so church is a priority. Our kids don't miss church for sports and different things. And, um, and so that's a value of ours. So. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for a great discussion today. I always enjoy uh, our time together. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, we pray that this is a blessing to you. And always, and we really do mean this, if it is a blessing, share it. Share it on social media. Send it in a text or an email to a friend or family uh, member. And we just pray it will be a blessing to them. Thanks for all that you do. God bless.